Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of Sneak Up. It's a pedestrian's podcast dedicated to all things art, music, dance, and all-around culture, sponsored by Platypus Shoes. My name is Jack, and I'm your host slash avatar for all the amazing conversations we've been having here on the show. On today's mini-sode, we're chatting sustainability. The recent climate marches around the world were a perfect encapsulation of just how concerned young people and all kinds of other people are for our environment and the state of the world in general. It can be a pretty terrifying conversation to say the least, and that might be underselling it. To lead the conversation today, we've reached out to you, our listeners, via the Pedestrian TV website and asked you to share your questions and your concerns for Australia's future. We'll be running a little bit of background on each of them for those that might not be too familiar and a few points on how you and the rest of the world can help ease those concerns. To lead that conversation, I'm chatting with climate carer and senior reporter for Business Insider, Jack Derwin. Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good to be here, Jack. Thank you for coming on. It's of good. Of course. Uh, so I guess um, today, as I mentioned, we're going to be running through some concerns that our audience have shared with us uh, in regards to the environment, sustainability, and our planet's future. We've grabbed them from, um, from our site online. They've shared them with us very kindly. And so I guess the way that this is going to run is I'm going to read through a number of statements that they've given us. And you're just going to sort of give us your thoughts on them, where you think that that concern is at, if it's, if it's right to be concerned about that, mm. and what they can be doing to help. Yeah, great. Take us away, mate. So the first one is, single-use plastics concern me. I recycle and reuse, but I hope scientists can find an alternative biodegradable substitute to plastics. Yeah, well, look, I, I think probably with all these concerns, they're all probably legitimate. Um, but I think with all these things, it's good to take it with a grain of salt. Good to look at sort of the positive things pe- people are doing. So like single-use plastic, obviously a massive issue. But I, I, I think we are sort of moving towards a world where we are getting rid of them. We got rid of single-use uh, plastic bags here in Australia. Um, South Australia is actually considering right now uh, get, getting rid of all single-use plastic Entirely. Really? They're gonna. They're uh, looking at draft legislation. They're thinking of bringing it in next year. And South Australia always tends to lead us on these things, so we could see it. We could see it come sort of nationwide. Are they one of the first states as well that had that recycling levy, like for cans? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So they they had that for a long time before sort of the other states kind of look around and go, oh, why aren't we doing that? And they did it with uh, single-use plastic bags as well. They brought that out in two thousand and nine. Right. So okay. it took us. It took us almost a decade later for the rest of Australia to go. Oh, actually, may, maybe we should. Uh, we should cut back on those. I would say better late than never, but that's maybe not a phrase that's too welcome in this conversation. <laughs> There's o- only so much time, Jack. There's exactly. Only so much time. Uh, cool. Um, another concern that someone shared was the availability of avocados. And I mean, is, isn't that the most serious of all concerns? Like, Definitely. That's what's going to get. That's what's going to speak to people. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, avocado. So, I'm guessing the reason it, it, it came up, first of all, a delightful treat uh, for <laughs> all the listeners out there. Uh, we love it on toast, guacamole, obviously a, uh, a firm favourite. Mm. Um, not too firm. Not too f- No, particularly well. And <laughs> this is the thing as well, right? Because uh, of, of all the sort of produce, uh, av- avocados, um, I imagine the reason they're concerned is they need a large quantity of water. They're also, you know, not great in hot weather. So climate change has sort of rorted that on both fronts. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure what to say on this one other than, yes, it probably will be affected. Yes, uh, we probably won't have so many avocados going forward. But uh, are they going to go away entirely? I'm not sure. I think like anything, we'll probably reduce consumption. You might only be able to have avocado on toast 
once a week instead mm. of five times, Jack. Yep. I know that's going to upset you. Oh, I'm mad. You're mad. <laughs> you look furious. <laughs> and um, I mean, like all, all things, I, you know, you could you could say the same thing about you know uh, about almonds. You know, yep. require a lot of water. Almonds might you know be sort of going the same way. Avocados, I think, are a safer bet. Cool. That's good to hear. So another concern. The way in which Australians overconsume unethically sourced and it's unsustainable products. We live in a society that is ignorant of our obsession with materialism. Jeez, that's a damning, uh, mm, it's a, a sad damning one, isn't it? Criticism, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I wouldn't. I would say that there, there is some truth in that, but I, I'd say we, we are we are getting better. Um, I, I, I think certainly, um, you know, there are there are like with most of these things, um, there are things you can do, right? So. Um, this person is clearly very switched on. They want to uh, source e- ethical products, and I mean, you can you, you can always do that, right? There's always an ethical choice, uh, you know, whether it's eating locally um, sourced sort of food, whether it's you know not engaging in fast fashion, all of these sorts of things um, are things you you can do, you know, at home. You can avoid fast food, which obviously um, feeds into the whole sort of factory farm phenomenon. Um, but I think we are getting better. You know, I don't think we were having these conversations, uh, you know, th- tw- 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, so I, th- I think we are getting better. And I, I, th- I think there are more choices. And, you know, there's, uh, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of switched on people now. Uh, and it's certainly becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Definitely. Another one. Uh, the concern is that people will think it's too hard to become zero waste and not even try. Better five million imperfect people than five hundred perfect ones. Oh, that's that's. Uh, I I think that one answers itself, right? That you know, it's about making those little changes. Uh, yeah, like they like they've said, it's better to have you know, people just doing uh, sm- making small changes than everyone sort of you know throwing their hands up and saying. There's no no point to it, um, and with I mean with with zero waste, I think that's uh, you know a, a good example. I think now is um, you know I've got a lot of friends who you know who buy clothes secondhand. Um, you look at things like uh, on, on online marketplaces. You look at things like Gumtree, uh, Facebook, yeah, marketplace. Uh, people, there are opportunities. I think to you know re- reduce uh, your consumption of new things. Um, for for example, Jack, if I could talk about myself for Please. A, a minute, <laughs> um, I I moved house at the start of the year. I needed I needed a desk. I picked up a free secondhand desk, uh, sanded it back, put some lacquer on it. The desk is about sixty years old. It's good as new now. It'll last another sixty years if I take care of it. There, uh, you know, I don't have to buy a, a new desk every year. Um, I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I think we, we, we definitely are slowly but surely moving towards a, uh, you know, a future where we're not buying everything new and, and, and we're not simply wasting things as well. My main concern is water quality and supply as the demand continues to grow significantly whilst pollution becomes increasingly harder to filter out. Mm, mm. Well, I mean, that's a that's all again a legitimate concern, uh, and you know, here in Australia and here in New South Wales, we are in the middle of a drought. Uh, we're we're a few years in. These things tend tend to take, uh, you know, they sort of work on on eight to ten uh, year cycles. Uh, it, it is a legitimate concern, but I think, I mean, particularly with water, we some of the um, technological leaps I think is really interesting when when it, when it comes to water sourcing. You know, we're looking at. Uh, things that we didn't have maybe 20, 30 years ago. You know, we're looking at uh, desalination plants. We're looking at water recycling. Did you know, Jack, 
that uh, 65% of Singapore's water is uh, supplied via desalination and recycled water. Really? 65%. It's going to be 80% in the next decade or so. Oh, my God. So we have these crazy things. And I'll tell you another thing. Please. I was in Morocco recently. Mm. And uh, do you know what they're doing in, in Morocco, Jack? I assume lots of things, but many, you've obviously many got things. one thing in mind. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the Morocco sits sort of right on the uh, western part of the Sahara. Um, incredibly dry place, incredibly arid. They've actually set up nets on top of one of the local mountains there. And there's, uh, the fog passes over the mountain through the nets, and they're actually converting that to water. Whoa. In one of the most arid places on, on Earth. Oh, my God. Incredible, isn't it? I'd never thought that a net could be used to catch water. Nor could I. Incredibly fine, but it, it's, uh, it, it's actually supplying uh, nearby towns with water. And I, I think that kind of in- ingenuity is going to uh, help with this problem. I think that's one solution. It's not going to work everywhere. Obviously, we don't have fog everywhere, but it does show, uh, you know, uh, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. Definitely. A concern here is mass produce farming, and the concern is not only the general hazards it has on our environment, but also on the animal's health and also local farmers and grocers. Yeah, uh, look, another good one. Um, I think with that, um, I think as we sort of move towards, uh, you know, more meatless diets, uh, you know, we, we're seeing the rise of uh, vegetarianism, veganism. People are just generally cutting down on their meat consumption anyway. Um, and I think that's going to have a big I- impact as we move away from these sort of huge uh, agricultural lots. Um, I think also, I mean, e- e- even wandering around um, Sydney, you sort of, I've, I've started seeing this... Uh, these community farm, uh, mm. sort of com- community gardens, yeah. crop up. There's a really wonderful one over uh, near sort of Lane Cove. Um, there's a few on the inner city. I think we're sort of moving towards that kind of model. People are, are kind of waking up. We're kind of uh, you know sort of trying to bring things back to a community level rather than sort of um, out, out outsource them to these enormous industrial scale uh, mm. farms. Um, another example, Jack, if, Please. If, if, if I could toot my horn once again, uh, <laughs> I live in a very, uh, environmentally friendly household. Mm-hmm. Uh, my ha- housemates are far, far better than me, but, uh, we're part of a, like a, a local co-op and, uh, every two weeks we get, we get a massive thing, uh, two, two cardboard boxes full of, um, locally grown vegetables, fruits. Uh, it all comes from within, I think something like two hours of Sydney. That kind of thing, I think we, we're going to start seeing a lot more of going forward. How do you think people will be able to get involved in something like that? They are a, a little bit tricky to get on. For that one, for example, I know we were on a waiting list. The house was on a waiting list for, I think, 18 months to two years. Oh, wow. Years. Okay. But they've been running that one for like 30 years. Right. Um, I think they are out there. Uh, you know, find your suburb, find your city, uh, do a bit of a Google search. Uh, if you can find something like that, you're instantly cutting down on, on, on so many things, right? You're cutting down on, you know, single-use plastic, plastic bags that your vegetables and things go on. Um, you're cutting back on, you know, bringing, in, in, importing fruit and vegetables. All of those things suddenly become really simple just because we're, we're growing it locally. Wow. Great. I'm going to wait for 18 months and then get involved. This has just become a, an hour for me to toot, toot my own horn, Joe. Well, look, that's why I'm t- talking to you, mate. <laughs> While there are many green initiatives, carbon offset programs being one of them, they just aren't fast enough, says this person. Are companies considering alternative materials logistics to, to deliver instant impact? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as the, uh, you know, working for Business Insider, as I do, we're always sort of looking at companies. And I I think that's where things get really interesting is when you look at it from a business level, right? So I think 
you know, there's this idea that we, we're going to make all these switches sim- simply because, uh, you know, they're better for the environment and if we all have a sort of a, you know, a social conscience, then, uh, you know, that's the impetus for us to, to, to go there, right? But, you know, for companies, it, it makes sense. We're seeing like so many different businesses move towards more environmentally um, friendly sort of practices. Uh, first and foremost, just because it's cheaper, it's a better uh, business. We have um, a good example. For exa- uh, a good example is Atlassian, which is a local uh, sort of tech startup. Uh, it's like a wild Australian success story. They're uh, going to be 100% renewable e- energy uh, within the next decade by 2050. Nothing that none of their suppliers are going to uh, produce any emissions. They're going to be entirely carbon neutral. Wow! This is an enormous company. Uh, it's valued at, uh, I think, some tens and tens of billions of dollars. It's made the uh, two uh, Australian guys who started it incredibly rich. Uh, and when interviewed about it, they just say it makes sense. Renewable energy is cheaper. Uh, obviously better for the environment as well that's a motivation but it just makes good business sense and we're seeing that across the board uh, in all kinds of different industries Uh, you know coke got rid of uh, single-use straws just because i mean for them it made business sense and you know that's what customers are looking for definitely they're looking for uh, businesses and brands and things that they can sort of uh, empathize with and that are doing you know uh, are doing good work this person's provided us with a fact, which is nice. Did you know that we have the largest manufacturer of electric charging stations and we still don't have electric cars? So the government policies are the concern to me here. And that's, and that's a really important point. The fact that, you know, to follow on from the last uh, sort of uh, question and concern, companies are sort of moving, but what happens when governments don't follow suit? Um, I did vaguely know that fact um did you know jack that in australia we have thousands and thousands of these um uh of salt of um charges for battery powered cars right? mm. so uh someone actually i think last year did a around australia trip where they followed the entire coastline around oh yeah i saw that to yeah, yeah. to prove that we had the infrastructure in place that um you know because one of the big concerns with battery powered cars is what happens if I run out of power? Right? What yeah, if in I'm, the middle uh, of the desert or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So someone, um, they, these guys, these crazy guys, drove the entire coastline uh, and mapped every single charger. And you can go online and see, you know, where every single um, one of these things is. And the fact that you could do it, I, I think, is you know a massive testament. So whether or not governments get in, obviously, it's a lot easier if uh, your you know federal government is supportive of policies. But if they're not uh, you know, you're still seeing that slowly but surely we are, um, those kind of changes are happening, right? The fact that, you know, in Australia, where in the world where, you know, you think 10 years ago where were battery-powered cars, you know, where, where, where was that? Tesla was, you know, barely a twinkle in Elon Musk's eye. Mm. And now you, you, can, you can drive around Australia however many thousand kilometres that is and uh, you're sort of safe. So, yes, government policy... Massive concern, but uh, you know, I think oftentimes uh, you know people and companies and all these kind of things lead, and government sort of you know follows after. Um, and whether or not we're in that position in Australia, um, I've 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 got great hopes that they're going to uh, 
get on board sooner rather than later. I would think so. I'm definitely seeing more Teslas on the road than ever before. So there, there you go. And the thing with Tesla as well is, you know, the whole the whole business model with with Tesla was he wanted to make uh, a small number of luxury vehicles. You've got a smaller market. You sell them at a greater margin. Then Elon Musk's vision was you will work down to the middle range and you work down to budget and eventually. Uh, you've grown a company that that can produce, you know, an, an electric car for you know a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, whatever it is, and you supply everyone. But you know that price is coming down. A Tesla, uh, I'm not sure if you drive one, Jack, but you know <laughs> the price is getting down there. I've got great hopes that in five, ten years, I'll be able to afford one. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dream, Jack. You're an in- inspiration to us all. Uh. All right, this person has concern around livestock and meat in an expanding population. They're saying that we need to invest in DNA lab meat, uh, which is identical to real meat, but ethical and sustainable. What are your thoughts? Yeah, right. So are you familiar with uh, you know, the lab meat? Uh, I'm familiar with it as a concept, but yeah. I've never really, I don't think I've ever tried it. No, no. So it's one of those things that I think hasn't quite got to uh, the critical mass point where we're going to start seeing it everywhere, but I think we are close. Um, a nice little stat for you. Hit me. Uh, yeah. So the very <laughs> first lab-created uh, burger in the US cost three hundred thousand US dollars. What? That's why y- you hadn't tried one. But twenty eighteen, that same burger, eleven dollars and thirty six cents, Jack. Whoa. When $11 was eleven dollars and thirty six cents? When was the first one made? The first one was made, I believe. I think it was uh, circa t- two thousand thirteen. My God. Five years later, it had. Uh, yeah, it, it was down to eleven thirty six. Which I, I, I mean, I think. Is sort of the going price of your average burger on the street. That's cheap as lab-produced chips. Exactly. You see, <laughs> you see, which you know, I, I'm I'm not sure why we would make those in a lab, Jack, but it's a good idea. <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, I, I mean, in the same way that you know, plant-based meat was sort of nowhere, and then suddenly we saw it everywhere through mm. supermarkets, uh, Beyond Burger, Impossible Burger, all these brands started popping up. Um, I think we're going to see the same thing with lab meat. I think it's going to be a bit slower. Because I don't know about you, I think there are some concerns about something that's sort of grown in a lab. You know, yeah, in a lab by, by by scientists, it doesn't seem as natural. But I think once we sort of get over that, mm. um, I think they're going to explode. It'll just be a little bit slower. Yeah, definitely. This person is concerned that um, we should be making sure that we see young people being heard in a world run by middle-aged businessmen and women whose number one priority is money. It's a big issue. A, Do you have something to say a, about that? It's a, it's a major criticism. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I mean, again, you know, you can you can take a very you know dour opinion of sort of older generations, and you, and you can you know, and I can see why you you would draw those assumptions. But I, I think what was interesting was we recently had the uh, climate strike rally, uh, which you know our office went to, I went to. Mm-hmm. And looking around, I think what was in, what was interesting was despite the fact that that was you know started by uh, school kids, started by Greta Thunbergs, um, looking around, the actual a lot of the people at the at this rally weren't just school kids, but they were older people, they were people you know of, of my grandparents' generation, they were uh, parents. Uh, there were a lot. Of, there were a lot of grey hairs, mm. and I think uh, we do them a disservice if we write them off entirely. You know, the, your middle-aged politicians—they have kids as well. Their kids will have kids. You know, while money certainly you know drives politics at times, uh, these people you know still have concerns for future generations. Uh, maybe they're not voting for them right now, but you know, as as different demographics grow up, 
you know, the, as the millennials sort of, you know, start occupying uh, political o- office, I think we're going to see a switch. And also, you know, e- e- even if they are, you know, driven by money sometimes, that money is going to start changing direction, right? So you've, mm. got, you've got big mining companies uh, who are saying, we're going to get out, out of coal. We're not going to start new coal projects. It's not, um, it's, it, it's not a sustainable business practice. We see that this is going to go away. And we're, we're basically not going to uh, acquire any more new projects. Uh, so when that money starts moving, that's also, you've got to understand, it, it, it's money that isn't lobbying politicians as well, right? When they go, it's not a sustainable business practice. Well, we're also not going to, you know, give $100,000 to this political party to, you know, stand up for the, the poor and embattled coal sector. Yeah. That money will start moving. Um, and a lot of those in, in industries, they often get on, on the um, in industries that replace them, right? So I think what we'll start seeing is uh, a lot of this fossil fuel money start start moving into renewable en- energies because, you know, they're already in the energy sector. They know fossil fuels are, f- fossil fuels are on the way out and they're going to get on the next big thing, right? Mm. Um, so when that money starts moving as well, I think the politics will change as well. Cool. I hope so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So, Jack, I guess my last question would be, what do you think that the average young person can do to do something about a sustainable Australia? I think there's there's a lot of different, um, you know, small changes. And with these kind of things, I, I, I think, uh, as we were saying before, um, there is, when you, when you look at climate change as a whole and when you look at, you know, the state of the planet, it's very easy to sort of um, get freaked out about, you know, where we're headed Clearly, you know, the list of concerns you've got, um, people are worried. Um, I guess probably the important thing is to take a step back to sort of look away from the big picture and look at what you can actually do. And I think that's when, you know, when you're going to find the things that you can change, you've just got to look, I guess, at your own individual situation. You know, what are you consuming? What are you eating? What are you spending your money on? And, you know, there's a million different ways that you can, you can adjust what you're doing to sort of help the bigger picture. There's a million different ways that your, your friends can do that, your family, um, and you can encourage them to, you know, do those things, whether it's, you know, uh, eating less meat, whether it's buying things secondhand, whether it's, you know, the old turn things off at the switch, <laughs> yep, yep. you know, to sound like my grandfather. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> a million different things you can do. And it's sort of looking locally uh, and looking at your own, you know, looking at, at the the change you want to be in the world. I so was just about to say that. There you go. Sorry, Jack. I've stolen your, your thunder. No, that's good. I, I feel like we're on the same page and that's all I could have ever asked. <laughs> but there are, I mean, there are, there are a million di- different things you can do. Um, and I think that's the important thing. And I think, you know, always to be sort of to look at the, you know, ha- half glass full as much uh, as you might read um, that sort of points you towards a state of despair. It, it, it's no good for anyone. Apathy doesn't help. Mm. Um, you know, the, the point is to say there are things we can do um, and identify them and, and simply do them. Words to live by. Words to live by. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Jack. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Jack. Hopefully you got plenty out of this week's episode of Sneak Up and might feel more informed and ready to do your bit in the fight against climate change. As Jack said, be the change that you want to see in the world. To keep up to date on all things Sneak Up, be sure to follow Platypus on the gram at platypus underscore sneakers and Pedestrian TV at Pedestrian TV. I'll be back in a fortnight, but till then, keep it sneaky.